The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, let's get to it. Tuesday hiatus edition, PFT Live, PFTPM, creeping closer to our glorious return to Peacock and NBCSN. Thanks for some of your time. We'll get to the news. And the Colts officially are cursed. I saw yesterday in the excellent daily notes that the Colts send out via email, a one-line reference to the fact that Quentin Nelson, all-pro guard, exited practice early because someone had stepped on his foot. Okay, no big deal. Somebody stepped on his foot, leave early, take a little rest, come back the next day. Nope, showed up at practice in a boot. And after practice, Coach Frank Reich said he's got the exact same injury as the one suffered by quarterback Carson Wentz and will have the same surgery and will be gone for the same broad estimate of time, five to 12 weeks for Quentin Nelson. It just isn't good for the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, he's one of the best players on the team. He transformed that offensive line from the moment he showed up as the sixth overall pick out of Notre Dame in 2018. And now he's gone for a month and a week. Maybe he gets back for week one. Maybe he's out until November. We won't know until they go through the surgery, the rehab, et cetera. Now, unlike Carson Wentz, this sounds like something that just happened. There may have been some old injury in there that got aggravated. I don't know. With Wentz, the way that Frank Reich explained it on Monday, once he announced that surgery would occur, it was an old injury and, and something finally went and it was time for Carson Wentz to have a surgery. So I look at the quarterback position, Jacob Easton steps up. They had said good things about him back during the period of the off season where every glass is half full. Every player's in the best shape of his life. Every team is going to go 17 and 0. So there was a sense that they could count on Easton at a time when they didn't think they'd have to. Now, I think it becomes a little more of a delicate game of leverage because Think back to what happened five years ago to the Vikings. Late August, Teddy Bridgewater tears his ACL. The Vikings have nowhere else to go at starting quarterback. They eventually get held up by the Eagles for a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick for Sam Bradford. So the Bears dying to get Nick Foles' guaranteed contract off the books now have a chance to trade him to the Colts. Well, the Colts are desperate. So whatever you would have taken – before Carson Wentz gets injured, you want more now. And the Colts rallying behind this idea that they'll stick with Jacob Eason, trying to drive that price down. At some point, Nick Foles, who said yesterday, if he gets traded anywhere, he wants to go to a place where he knows people. And who does he know better than Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, when Foles came in for Wentz and led the Eagles to a championship. And Foles says he's actually better now. Well, wasn't better last year when he became the starter in Chicago, but it seems like the right thing to do, work it out, let Foles get to Indianapolis if that's what the Colts want to do. The other wild card in all of this, how will Carson Wentz respond to having Foles back on the depth chart? 
Last year, Jay Glazer reported that Wentz didn't respond well to the drafting of Jalen Hurts. And we know how awkward it got in Philadelphia with Wentz and Foles. Would Wentz welcome Foles being his understudy again? It's not like Foles would have designs on keeping the job. Ultimately, the Colts want to win games. And Reich believes in Foles. I'd have to think that Foles is an option if the Colts could pull it off. But one of the ingredients in pulling it off is acting like you don't want to do it. That's one of the ways, maybe the only way to get the Bears to expect less than they otherwise would get for Nick Foles. But it's basic negotiation, basic leverage, and we'll see if the Colts make that move. And it's not like there's some great option out there to replace a Quentin Nelson. You just have to, you have to hope everybody steps up, everybody pulls their weight, and they find a way to still be a great offensive line without the greatest offensive lineman currently in the NFL. Three-time All-Pro right out of the gates to start his career. I didn't realize that he's only the fifth player in the last 50 years to be all pro for the first three seasons of his career joining. And I may not be remembering this correctly, but the Colts pointed this out earlier today, Earl Campbell, Keith Jackson, Barry Sanders, Lawrence Taylor, Quentin Nelson is the fifth. And that's an amazing accomplishment. Let's stay in the AFC South and talk for a minute or two about the Houston Texans on Monday when David Colley, the coach of the team, was asked whether or not things would change for Deshaun Watson, who's been buried at fourth string on the depth chart during the non-padded portions of training camp. Once the Texans put the pads on, Colley said nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Well, when they showed up today with their pads on, something changed. Watson wasn't there. Now, there's speculation that maybe a trade is being worked out. I still think the Texans want too much, and until they reduce their expectations, they're not going to make a trade happen. But these issues with Watson, serious allegations, 22 lawsuits, 10 criminal complaints. His camp is now anticipating that a grand jury will be convened at some point. He could be indicted. Once he's indicted, if that happens, he's got to go on paid leave. He's got to. He's got to. I don't know, look, the NFL's got broad discretion here, but I can't imagine them not putting him on paid leave if he's indicted on at least one count of some type of forcible sexual misconduct. But there are too many questions swirling right now. That's why a trade hasn't happened. And the Texans are essentially putting Watson on team-based paid leave while they wait to see what happens. Will there be a trade offer that we like? Are we holding out for some bottom line that we must get? Or are we just going to eventually take the best offer that comes our way? And along the way, there is that possibility. As I said before, we're one new cycle away from something happening to cause the league to say enough's enough. Can't have this guy on our broadcast. Can't have social media going crazy every time there's a Deshaun Watson highlighter or Deshaun Watson mention. He'll be trending for all the wrong reasons because he'll be talking about this off-field issue, which is, is, again, serious. It needs to be taken seriously. If and when these cases are resolved, they need to be resolved the right way. So everyone involved feels like they've gotten some semblance of justice. But right now, I think it's too late for a settlement. I don't think a settlement changes things because the criminal process has progressed too far. It's too late now to turn back around with the 10 criminal complaints, with the prosecutor expected to convene a grand jury. And remember, prosecutors are elected at the state level. If you don't let a grand jury decide what to do with this case, you're giving your future opponent, whenever you're up for reelection, 
plenty of ammunition to say this prosecutor doesn't care about the rights of women when they're violated by the rich and the powerful. So let's let a grand jury decide what happened. Let's let a grand jury at least decide whether or not the case moves forward. It could ultimately be that he's indicted, he's tried, and he's acquitted because of the very high bar of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. But I think it may be that he's got to go through that process and these women have to have their day in court from a criminal standpoint before we can reach that conclusion, which means between the civil lawsuits, the criminal lawsuits, if he's put on paid leave, it may not be one year that Deshaun Watson doesn't play football. It could be two years. And he's due to make 10 million this year and 35 million next year under the contract that he signed last September. Josh Allen's still waiting for a new contract to replace the one that he signed as a rookie in 2018, the seventh overall pick of the Buffalo Bills. Still not compensated, still not rewarded, still not given the, and I hate to say the word windfall because he's earned it. And last year he became one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. They built the offense around him and he thrived. Yet to have a deal in place, Brandon Bean, the GM of the team said on Monday that there is a deadline at some point in the preseason where they will stop talking about a contract now and they'll hold it over until next year. I've said this before, the Bills are playing with fire if they don't get this done. Yes, there's a chance that Josh Allen regresses. There's a chance he gets injured. There's all sorts of chances that a bad outcome can happen. But there's also a chance, and I'd say the, the more likely chance, reality, whatever, is he's going to continue to play like he played last year. He's going to continue to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's potentially going to get better. It's going to cost you more. See, with quarterbacks who have finished their third NFL regular season. Remember, the window on a second contract opens as soon as the final game of the third regular season is played. If you know then that this is your guy, every day that you delay doing the contract is going to make it more expensive. Ideally, what the Bills should have done is exactly what the Cowboys should have done after the third regular season ended for Dak Prescott. Swoop in and get a deal done before the playoff game. Take that injury risk on. Give the player the reward. Let him go forward knowing he's going to be properly compensated. And it could just be that Allen wants too much. Maybe he wants so much that the Bills just say, you know what? If he wants that much, let's wait a year and we'll give him that much next year if he continues to play well. The problem is he'll want more next year. Whatever he wants now, if you think, okay, if he has another year like last year, then what he wants now is justified. If he has another year like last year, what he wants is up here. It's only going to get more expensive. So unless they're not sold on Josh Allen, which I don't think is the case, they're making a mistake, a big mistake by not getting this done because it's only going to get more expensive going forward unless they get lucky with a regression or an injury, but that's not the kind of luck you want. Gee, oh, oh, torn ACL for Josh Allen. Man, we're lucky we didn't pay him. Well, you got bigger problems because your starting quarterback has a torn ACL or all of a sudden your starting quarterback starts to go the other way. So, hey, congratulations. You were smart to not compensate your quarterback and now your quarterback isn't the guy that he was. Yippee. So 
And I know the other side of it is you don't want a Carson Wentz or a Jared Goff contract, but the Bills know Josh Allen better than anyone. If the Bills believe after three years of working with him that he's the guy, then pay him. And there's no reason to think that they believe he's not the guy. So pay him. It's that simple. Happy birthday, Tom Brady. 44 years young. You know, somebody's getting old when you refer to their age as years young. But one of the oldest guys to ever play in the NFL, still a starting quarterback. He's got two more years, and then he's going to decide whether to keep going. And remember, he used to say, when asked how long he would play in the NFL, 10 more years, 10 more years, 10 more years. At some point, seven, eight years ago, it switched to until 45. And that means until the 2022 season. He turns 45 a year from today, August 3, 2022. That season is the one that he has always or at least in the last seven or eight years, targeted. But he said recently to Jim Gray that after that season, when his contract expires, he'll consider what to do next. And I, I still think it's worth keeping an eye on the possibility that Tom Brady will decide to go somewhere else in 2023, maybe a place where he thinks the table is better set for him to win a Super Bowl by becoming that final ingredient. If it's still the Buccaneers, in 2023, so be it. And maybe it will be. But he'll have that freedom to decide what he wants to do if he decides after the next two seasons, the plans continue. But let's not lose sight of the amazing reality that here he is at 44. Many doubted he'd be able to do it. And the question for me going forward, how many other guys will be able to follow in his footsteps? We've seen guys peter out near 40. We saw Drew Brees get into his very, very early 40s before he retired. Ben Roethlisberger on the brink of 40. Philip Rivers retired. Russell Wilson has said he wants to play until he's 45. Aaron Rodgers has said he wants to play into his 40s. I'm sure some of these younger guys want to play into their 60s because they can't conceive that far to the future. That's normal. When I was back at that age, I had no idea that I would even live into my 50s and I had no idea what I'd be doing. I didn't think about it. You're thinking about what you're doing then. And I'm going to be doing a lot of thinking and I hope I live long enough to see whether or not these guys currently in their early to mid 20s will be around and still going strong two decades from now. I mean, think about it. Tom Brady drafted in the year 2000, drafted 22 years ago, half of his life in the NFL half of his life. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I think he will keep going as long as he possibly can. Pads are on, it seems like for everyone. It seems like on the same day, everyone put on the pads and there was news out of New York that the Giants got into a massive fight that pissed off coach Joe Judge. But the tone for the day was set by Dan Campbell, the Lions head coach, who I think is trying to strike a very delicate balance here. Like most coaches, you want your guys to go out and show what they can do. Iron sharpens iron. He said he wants to see who can deliver punishment and who can take punishment. He wants everything short of an all-out brawl, but he doesn't want the all-out brawl. See, you want to show that you've got some badasses who can go out and play football and tackle without live tackling to the ground happening on a regular basis. Just guys who can turn it on like that. That's what you're looking for. But you want guys who know when to turn it off. Apart from the fact that certain behaviors are going to risk 15-yard penalties if they happen during games. You don't want guys swinging fists into helmets. You don't want quarterbacks at the bottom of the pile like Daniel Jones apparently was for the fight today in New York. You don't want your guys getting injured during fights. But there is a certain element of that 
that just quality that you're looking for, where you're, you're, you're telling them to stop, but deep down, you love every minute of it. And I think that's what Dan Campbell's looking for. And the question is, can he keep his guys healthy while he otherwise prepares them to be the badasses he's hoping for as the Lions try to turn things around for the first time in a long time in Detroit? Mike Zimmer, the Vikings coach, is at his wit's end with his unvaccinated players. He addressed it again yesterday. We talked about it some yesterday. Multiple head coach is not happy with what's going on. And as I said yesterday, I'm wondering how high up the depth chart the unvaccinated players will be cut. Who truly will be untouchable if unvaccinated? Certain players are just too good. Certain players have salary cap numbers that are too high. The ramifications of cutting them or trading them are too great that you're not going to release them for not being vaccinated. And Kirk Cousins is the prime example. Talked about that yesterday. It occurred to me though, at some point yesterday afternoon or this morning, the light finally started to flicker. These coaches are gonna remember the guys who currently are untouchable and are giving the middle finger to the coach, not doing what the coach wants because they know they're untouchable. Oh, you want me to get vaccinated? Well, what are you gonna do about it? You're gonna cut me? Fine, cut me. I got all this guaranteed money. Cousins has 35 million guaranteed next year, fully guaranteed. Vikings aren't gonna cut him, but you know what? I think all of these guys who are untouchable for now, well, I know what will happen. Unless they choose to walk away from football, there will be a time when they are not untouchable. There will be a time where their skills begin to diminish. There will be a time where the benefit of moving on outweighs the benefit of keeping the player. And I think those guys are going to get no consideration, no benefit of the doubt, no effort to say, let's all, let's give him one more year. He's been a good part of the team. Let's keep him around. Let's try to work it out. I think all those guys, every one of these currently untouchable players who refuse to get vaccinated because they know in part that the team isn't going to do anything about it. The moment the team is in a position to do something about it, they will be gone. They will be gone. Unless in cities where there's a complete and total overhaul between now and the time the player reaches that point, or it's so far from now that we've completely moved on from the pandemic and it's over and it's done and nobody's thinking about it. Other than that, I think that, that these guys who currently are untouchable eventually will be touchable and eventually will be kicked in the ass right out of the city that they're currently in. And I don't know if they thought that far ahead, but I have, and I figure that's what's gonna happen for these guys who are using their status and their cap numbers as ways to refuse to do what their coach wants them to do. I'm still stunned by that. Their whole life, you do what the coach says, you do what the coach wants. And now on this issue, coach isn't getting what he wants. Well, coach is eventually gonna get what he wants, which is that guy off the team sooner rather than later or later rather than sooner, depending upon how long that person continues to be a key contributor. All right. Looking at today's call for questions. Let's see what we have here. Somewhere, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, we got a lot of content today. Here we go. Here we go. At Gunendo, greetings from Northern Ireland. Haven't been able to find you on YouTube for the last week or so. Am I going somewhat daft or have you stopped posting the hiatus updates there? Keep up the great work. Thank you, Andrew. We'll check and make sure that these things are being posted on YouTube. They're being posted in 
PFT, and we'll make sure they're getting to YouTube as well. The armchair GM, if the NFL were to get an expansion team, how would that affect the NFL's divisions? Would one or two divisions have five, or how do you think that would work? Well, it, it makes me think of the days when there were 26 teams. When there were 26 teams, there were four divisions with four teams each and two divisions with five teams each. That's how it worked. So if we would, and, and I can't imagine the NFL adding one team, you had teams in pairs. The only time they added one team was when they added the Browns in 1999 as part of the deal that allowed the Browns to move to Baltimore, become the Ravens. And that necessitated another expansion team. And that's how the Texans got into the NFL. So you would have two teams, 32 to 34. So you would have two divisions with five teams. And then when 34 goes to 36, you'd have four divisions with five teams and four divisions with four teams. I think ideally, and I hope this happens in my lifetime because I hope I live as long as I possibly can and see it because I think it's a long ways off. 40 teams, I think is the perfect number. Now, do you have enough competent players to fill out 40 NFL rosters? I think you do. And I think the NFL won't care. The NFL wants inventory on which to wager. 18 games per team is the most we're gonna see. So the only way to increase inventory after that, increase teams. And I think that 40 would actually be perfect because then you have eight divisions of five teams each. And then you don't run into this situation, or at least you're less likely to run into this situation where you've got a really bad division top to bottom and some crappy team that doesn't deserve to host a playoff game hosts a playoff game. I'd like to think that out of five teams, there will be one team that is good enough to pass that smell test and and host a playoff game and have a record above 500. I hope that's that's where we get. But yeah, it would just be two five-team divisions for the first two expansion teams, four if the next two happen, six for the two after that, and then ultimately eight divisions, five teams each. Paul Silva, which old school throwback uniform should become their team's permanent uniforms? For me, it's the Dolphins. Yeah, I, top of the list for me is the Dolphins. And Brian Flores has previously said he wants those to be the main uniforms. Now, here's what happens. It, it's been less than a decade since the Dolphins changed these new uniforms. And Stephen Ross, the owner of the team, probably spent a crap load of money on different designs. And so they picked this and everything's changed to this. And this is our new look. And this is our new thing. And this is our... The other one looks better. And for now, it's kind of like you can have your cake and eat it too because we have our base uniform, but we use the other one. So we really do have both, but the other one's so much better that I really do think that's the one that should be the primary uniform. And to me, that's really the only team that stands out as team whose secondary uniform is better than their current uniform. However, if the Eagles would do Kelly Green as their alternate uniform starting in and the earliest it could be as a practical matter is 2023 because the deadline for changing uniforms, jerseys and pants had already passed before the NFL said you could go ahead and change helmets. I think that deadline, I need to see what teams ultimately took advantage of the deadline for, for putting in an alternate helmet. I think it was July 31 of this year, but the Eagles, if they change their uniform to Kelly Green as an alternate, that would instantly be better than the current uniform. I also love what the Giants do when they go white on white with the old school Giants helmet, the Phil Sims throwbacks. I like those a lot. I think they should make those the permanent uniform. Of course, what had happened then is we get used to that one and they'd use their current 
uniform as a throwback. And at some point we'd grow nostalgic for it and say, gee, I wish they'd go back to the uniform that currently is the alternate. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, uh, there's a question from Troy Rolders, but I've, I've, uh, I've already covered both topics here, Carson Wentz and Mike Zimmer, but it's a good question. Everett M, known officially on Twitter as Valleyman12, asks if an unvaccinated player such as Cole Beasley is cut ostensibly for not being vaccinated, could said player file a protest through the NFLPA? Absolutely, file a grievance. And the rule is you can't cut a player for not being vaccinated there are going to be players who get cut for not being vaccinated. And look, even though the teams won't admit it, there's so much circumstantial evidence out there. The things that Mike Zimmer has said, the things that Ron Rivera has said, Vikings president Mark Wolf apparently talking about the problems with this vaccine hesitancy. That, that all becomes the evidence that you use in the confines of a grievance to prove that even though they say I wasn't fast enough, strong enough, big enough, whatever, my salary cap number was too high, whatever, one of the motivating factors was the fact that I refused to be vaccinated. Now, the NFLPA is probably not going to be all that zealous about pushing those grievances because the NFLPA wants players to get vaccinated. They may have to hire separate lawyers. I just don't know how sympathetic those cases are going to be because the rights are valid. If the NFL and the NFL Players Association have agreed, as they have, that players cannot be cut because of their vaccination status, then these are viable legal actions. And those players have rights that should be vindicated, but they're not gonna be popular, but they still have rights. It's the same as what happened to Colin Kaepernick. And anytime I point out that a person who gets cut and shunned for not being vaccinated would have the same legal status as Colin Kaepernick because he got not cut, but shunned for his effort to advocate on behalf of other players to protest during the national anthem, collusion, it's collusion. And in this case, it's collusion combined with a violation of the rules. It starts as a violation of the rules, cut because of vaccine status. And then if there is some sort of a loose understanding that we're not giving any of these guys jobs once they're released for not being vaccinated, that's when the collusion claim comes into play. But again, good luck finding someone who will be appropriately motivated to take on that case. But I think there will be lawyers out there 
who want to take on that case. And you bypass the union, you go straight to the grievance process, straight to an arbitrator, and you see what happens. Dr. J144, is a player being injury prone a real thing to scouts and teams, or do they chalk it up to bad luck? Thinking of guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, Cam Newton, et cetera. I, I think that there is an element of luck. At a certain point though, some bodies are just constituted differently than others. At a certain point, whether it's an accumulation of wear and tear, whether it's just this specific human being isn't built the way that others are and can't withstand the pounding, I do think that, that, you know, it's a chicken and the egg kind of a thing because I've seen over the years sitting next to Rodney Harrison at NBC, when we watch the games, it's the big Brady bunch monitor with nine boxes. Rodney can, can spot instinctively the potentially serious knee injury. And he'll slap me in the chest and say, look at that. And they'll show the replay and you'll see a guy all pretzeled up and the knees pointing in a way the knee shouldn't point and he jumps up and he's fine. So I think there are some guys, and this may be a, a product of proper nutrition and training and flexibility, et cetera, but some guys can withstand that wear and tear and others just can't. Look at Emmett Smith. His most important quality was durability. His ability to play while banged up. He wasn't the fastest, didn't have the best moves, had a great offensive line, but he was able to keep going and going and going and going. And I think some People are built in a way that they can do that. And some are built in a way that they can't. You know, we're all ultimately the same flesh and blood and bones and ligaments and cartilage. And, and I just think for some people, it lasts a hell of a lot longer and it can withstand that pounding a lot longer. And some guys, once they get out of college, they've either used up what they have or they reach a level of intensity where their bodies just can't keep up with the kind of pounding that you take on a regular basis to be an NFL player. All right, let's call it right there for the day. I think tomorrow we may have Sims for another hiatus edition of PFT Live and PFT PM. Plenty of things happening throughout the National Football League. We'll have all of it covered all day long, every day of the year at profootballtalk.com. Thanks for some of your time today. See you back here again tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.